Hello and welcome to Pitch Black, the show that discusses soccer in African-American culture, nationally and around the world. It's me again, your host, Matthew. And today we're going to talk about three different things again. First is going to be my trip to Miami, which is the reason for the four-month hiatus. And no, I was not there for four months. Uh, Two, we're going to talk about two more NFL players that are now partial owners of MLS and Premier League soccer teams. So that's a good view that we're not just hitting nationally, we're hitting internationally. And lastly, we're going to talk about FIFA, some new discoveries that's coming about as far as what are they going to do with the World Cup, how that affects African nations, more local MLS playoff scenarios, and Premier League, La Liga, and Serie A situations as far as U.S. men's national team players. Welcome back. So I want to talk about my trip to Miami. Um, I, I had planned on going to a major league soccer game uh, with a great friend of mine uh, for some time. Um, uh, being from the south, from New Orleans, we don't have a soccer team uh, on the major league soccer level. We do have uh, a couple of the mid-level to lower uh, level uh, pyramid teams, um, New Orleans Jesters, uh, Crescent City uh, Football Club, which are great in their own right. But it's the same as uh, watching an arena football team versus watching an NFL team. There's just definitely a different level of uh, talent. So being so far away, uh, I wanted to initially go to Houston uh, I have family out there. There's the Houston Dynamo uh, nearby. There's also Atlanta United, the team that kind of caused me to have that big jump into um, the intersection of black culture and soccer since Atlanta is kind of known as the black mecca. Uh, there's also Orlando City and Nashville, which is uh, kind of a... Uh, a second home for for myself and my family um, due to that we evacuated there during Hurricane Katrina back in 2005 so um, lo and behold I ended up not going to any of those cities Uh, I went back to a city that I hadn't been to since 2001 for a senior trip uh, Miami Um, and it was very interesting Uh, so uh, I ended up getting a flight there and we went to Miami, uh, pretty much stayed in Fort Lauderdale, which was advantageous because um, Miami, uh, or Inter-Miami, I should say, uh, has a team, and their team is in Fort Lauderdale, even though they're called Miami, which a lot of cities do. They're named after uh, a certain city, but their team is on the outskirts of the city, tax purposes, obviously. Uh, So... That didn't matter. I just wanted to see see the game. So that was my prime pur- purpose. Also, those vacation beaches, seeing the, the A1A, all beautiful. And um, so before getting to the game, I went and traveled around. I went and took a look at Miami. Like I said, I hadn't been there since 2001. So that's 20 years, two decades. Um, and driving through one of the first things that caught my eye was kids playing soccer but they're all black 
and you know, I know obviously the topic topic of this podcast being pitch black, you know, that shouldn't, you know, that shouldn't surprise me, but I guess at some point it still surprises me to see that and it wasn't as if it was such an outcast or outlier in that um in that environment in that neighborhood this was a full-on camp where you have african-american kids uh playing consistently and granted some may have been as some people would like to uh classify them even further as oh they may have been haitian they may have been dominican republic but guess what to me that's all african-american you know that's that's um i don't personally like to differentiate just because in the sense of this is a sport that is not associated with people of a certain color when you're in America and um, you know as, as you've heard me say I like to recognize good talent regardless of ethnicity and um, so this was this was great this was great to see um, and then obviously seeing the culture of Miami itself, going to Little Havana, uh, and just throughout the city itself, noticing that it wasn't just a secondary Hispanic uh, state or city. It was nations and cultures from around the world. Um, just walking down the beach, walking down the boardwalk, just uh, eavesdropping into people's conversations as they're talking, realizing the accents that I heard and the languages that I heard weren't all Spanish. My, my Spanish isn't the best, but I'm able to pick up on some things. Uh, I ended up hearing thing, you know, languages such as Italian, Portuguese, French, um, uh, Arabic, and, and, and so on, and realized this is really an international city and uh, good, you know, the segue into... I can see why Inter Miami uh, was created. So, if most of you don't know, uh, one of the big biggest owners, and I guess you know, popularity-wise of Inter Miami is David Beckham. So, I guess a little side story: <laughs> a close friend and I, she and I, went to the training facility, and I told <laughs> I told her I was like, you know, let's go take a look and see inside. And she was a bit worried, obviously, and I just told her um, one thing I've done before. And please, I advise advise any listeners to not do not do this. Um, I said, well, a lot of times you have to pretend like you're supposed to be there. Uh, people usually don't mess with you if you look and act like you're supposed to be there. If you look confused or you know you're looking around and asking questions, then people will automatically assume that you're not from that area or that you're not supposed to be there. Whereas a quick head nod and a wave of the hand and how's it going as you're walking in a straight line tends to work. So we parked over in the, in the parking lot and uh, there was an initial door. I think it was key coded, uh, key card, um, and we couldn't get through there. And I, I really didn't know if we were, could go in or not because I saw a gate with a separate parking lot and it was open. So naturally, I walked into it. So we walked in, and I wanted to test my luck, I guess you would say. I just kept walking, and I walked into this little, uh, I guess, alleyway, and there were just a bunch of uh, equipment, a bunch of cleats that were drying. 
and I realized, oh, this is probably where the equipment manager is. And lo and behold, the equipment manager walked out of the door right as I was thinking that. My friend, she was obviously very nervous at that moment. And I tested my theory. The, the equipment manager saw me. I said, hey, how's it going? And turned my head to keep walking. They did nothing. They, they weren't worried about me at all. Uh, so we kept walking. I ended up walking onto the field, the practice field, where their, um, their USL, uh, that's kind of the second level team, um, United Soccer League team, uh, Fort, Lauder uh, Fort Lauderdale FC, um, which is kind of, I guess you would say, their, their training squad. They do have a separate league, uh, but um, they train in order to move up, or it's just kind of like their academy and so on. So I'm just standing there, shades on. I have my Real Madrid um, practice uh, jersey on, and arms folded. Not a care in the world. A couple of coaches see me, and they just continue doing what they're doing. Um, and so after that, you know, after standing there for about a good five minutes, we just, you know, walked back out. And I uh, decided to take a picture um, near, like, a logo on the parking uh, spot. And little did I know until we finally drove off and looking at the picture, it said DB near the logo. And I thought about it. I'm like, who in the world is DB? Uh, well, that's David Beckham's. I was pretty much taking a picture in David Beckham's spot that uh, in an area of the parking lot that I wasn't even supposed to be in. But the moral of the story is sometimes you have to take that chance and actually go out uh, and see what's going on uh, within reasonable um, uh, risk levels, of course. So, last thing, we went to the game, and uh, while I would say, obviously, it wasn't the level of La Liga when I went to Madrid, it was a very, very exciting game. It was very, the atmosphere was electrifying from from the goals to the halftime music uh, with um, Gloria Estefan uh, playing over the speakers, the supporters crowd with their own unique significant chants, and I guess, you know, the luck of myself and my friend being there that they finally tied the game um, after being on a five or six game losing streak, so... Uh, after that game, they had actually started winning about six games in a row. Uh, so I like to, you know, you, you'd like to find something to make you feel like you're the talisman or that your presence there at the game was uh, significant. But it was very beautiful. It was, you know, great people. And, you know, it, it inspired me to want to bring something like that to New Orleans on whatever level. And I understand, as I said before, we have a couple of teams. Um, I personally feel we could have more out here but but it, it was great and it it showed me that American culture isn't a one-trick pony it's not just stuck on American football it's not it's not a two-trick pony it's not just stuck on basketball or you know baseball there is room for different sports and there are people that are willing to support it Fortunately, uh, MLS uh, games are in the summer where there's really not much big competition from the other major major sports uh, other than maybe baseball. But 
as I said, that it's you know people like the diversification, and I I really enjoyed it. I I hope to travel to more places such as Houston or Nashville, maybe within a few next few weeks during the playoffs. Uh, as as well, at least one of those teams, Nashville, will be in the playoffs, and as I said, bring more knowledge, bring more experience. And when I do get the opportunity, share it in New Orleans and hopefully grow it from there. Welcome back again for the next segment. So I wanted to talk about the two different owners uh, that are current NFL players that are now partial owners of MLS and uh, English Premier teams. One is... Uh, Patrick Mahomes that actually happened around late July and it was actually the day after my last podcast Uh, as many people may know Patrick Mahomes is a very decorated uh, uh, record-breaking quarterback for the Kansas City Chiefs Uh, just went to the playoffs or well the Super Bowl last year uh, lost to Tampa Bay and Tom Brady and crew Uh, but obviously signed a huge contract worth a total of $500 million, so half a billion dollars um, with all the incentives over the course of his career uh, and obviously the potential to gain more depending on how long he lasts. So with that being said, he, he has made moves uh, with his money as far as investment, as I mentioned with James Harden, uh, Mark Ingram, uh, Kevin Durant, LeBron James, and several other former and current professional players that are investing in soccer teams um, because it is a growing market uh, with a huge potential. So he has invested in Sporting City, Kansas City, uh, who is currently in the playoffs uh, or in a playoff spot this year in the MLS, and they are a pretty good team historically and currently. Uh, the other player is Malcolm Jenkins. He is so. This one's a bit more close to home, being from New Orleans, uh, as I am. He plays for the New Orleans Saints. He's played for other teams uh, here and there, the Philadelphia Eagles. He is a decorated uh, player as well, um, with uh, two Super Bowls, one with the Saints and one with the Eagles. Uh, so that's very historic to be a part of two teams first. Uh, so he definitely has a lot of uh, skill and luck on his side as far as uh, seizing those opportunities and a former Ohio State player. And he has just invested into a team called Burnley. They're currently in the top tier uh, in the English Premier level uh, in England. And uh, they're pretty decorated. Obviously, they're not the Manchester City's Manchester United um, and not saying that he wouldn't be interested in those but I do find that it's very good that he invested in Burnley which is a sizable place uh, considering you know compared to your larger teams in Chelsea that are around London and whatnot he invested in a team that's very homegrown as many teams are in the EPL but he invested in a team that he wanted to see grow because I believe that he has uh, the sense to want to work with a team and invest in a team that really dives into 
the mechanics of how do you get better? How do you uh, relate to the the supporters that are there and not just going with the popularity of, well, this is the big name team. This is the historical top team. They're always going to be in the top five. So I'll just put my money into them. So um, I actually do wish him great, great success in that. Um, and uh, that actually brings me to kind of a segue topic that I didn't intend to talk about, um, which is a big hit that's going on, I guess you can say, in in the United States, if not around the world, a show uh, uh, called Ted Lasso. Uh, years ago, this was actually just kind of a joke on as a commercial, um, but it definitely feels, uh, feels very real to me in my situation. It's uh, about a uh, college or division two so it's kind of the second the third level um college level of competition coach who coaches american football and he ends up becoming a soccer coach in uh, the english premier league and while i haven't watched all the episodes it is apple tv i advise you to go it has incredibly high ratings and it's definitely talked about uh uh, you know, over the water cooler. So it's well-deserving. It, it, I think it's very interesting that now that is a show that brings about the, I guess, a bridge, you can say, between the American football and how we expect things, how we coach, and putting that American who is the true, I guess you can say, definition of American sports leader into a realm that he's not used to and just kind of a little uh a little tidbits he does he's more successful than um people expect him to be obviously the the joke is for him to fail and not to know what he's doing and most of the time he doesn't but he does grow into it he learns about it and i like the the moral of that uh uh, i guess the big picture of if you take someone out of their environment and you can put them into another sporting environment, not saying that, you know, people will automatically become champions. I understand it's writing, but it gives them the opportunity to grow into it. I've had a friend who was from Sheffield that did not know or care about football, uh, American football. He thought it was silly. Now he's one of the biggest Saint supporters. He has a Saint supporter squad that watches games and he follows them just as religiously as he follows his Sheffield Wednesday Owls. Um, and I think the exposure that we offer to people gives them a chance to sufficiently like or dislike it. If you dislike a sport, that's totally understandable. I have never been and never will be a baseball person. I've gone to games in person, major league games. And, you know, it was nice, but I was at least exposed to it. So um, all in all, that show has hopefully brought current American soccer fans uh, a little bit closer or current American American football fans a little bit closer to understanding soccer, uh, that it's not a silly game. And hopefully adding that to their repertoire of sports that they'll love. Um, Same thing with as I mentioned with Patrick Mahomes and Malcolm Jenkins, their investments will inspire more people to realize there is more out there. Uh, you can love more than one sport, and you can also be smart and realize you can invest in more than one sport. 
Um, so hopefully that that type of symbolism and those actions of um, a diversity in sports keeps going out there towards everyone in the in the community, especially the black community. Welcome back for the third segment. I'm still your host, Matthew. And as I mentioned, I wanted to get into the international section of things. Uh, first, starting with uh, some unfortunate things as far as uh, Weston McKinney and his struggles in Juventus. Uh, you may have realized or heard uh, past um, past podcasts that I've done where I really support him, and I really and I still do. I think he is uh, a great example of someone of a, a African American. Um, male that played in American leagues that you know had a passion for it uh, from Texas, so it wasn't you know as if he you know he's pigeonheld into the stereotype of oh he's this Dominican or Panamanian. He, he's born and raised in America, played in America, and got the opportunity to play overseas in in Germany and now uh, currently in uh, Juventus in Italy in Syria. Um, he hasn't had the, the, the best work ethic breaking some policies due to, uh, the ongoing COVID pandemic, um, which is obviously, uh, I would say a huge, huge missed opportunity, um, because that not only affects his club play, that affects his, uh, international, uh, play as he, he's been, uh, removed for the team for a certain amount of time due to that. Uh, in light of that, I am very proud of the U.S. men's national team for, um, while not lighting up the world, being consistent, uh, whether it's a you know draw or, or win. Um, uh, the it is obviously multiple players, and you know I'm still learning the game, uh, realizing there's so many players on those teams, um, but I am proud of them. I, I, uh, do I see them winning the World Cup? No, but guess what? The the long uh, pause that United States uh, soccer has had, as far as men's soccer has had, and even you know going deep into uh, the the rounds in the in the World Cup, it'll be good just to have them be in it. And I understand, as I mentioned before in the previous podcast, um, they're automatically going to be accepted into the. Uh, World Cup that we host in the U.S., Canada, and Mexico, which is great. I, I think that's a great opportunity for whatever happens in the next year or so. Um, it, it can build on that for that. Uh, but as with many Americans, I'd like some satisfaction now. What have you done for me lately? Not what will you do in the future? So um, that that is a great opportunity. Uh, seeing players such as uh, Serginho Dest, uh, who also plays for Barcelona, uh, doing much better in uh, assisting the team. And uh, I try to say these names to help listeners who may not be familiar with these players uh, become familiar. It, it, I think it's a lot um, based on familiarity. I, uh, one, of the th- one of the reasons why I was never a big, I guess you could say, basketball or baseball fan was because I liked growing up in a sense, learning who the player was in college, thus making me feel more comfortable with who they are and their tendencies and habits when they're in the pros. Uh, I could do a lot more of that with football since 
there was a certain amount of uh, years you had to play compared to baseball. You could essentially go from high school to uh, to the pros, basketball. You only had to wait one year. So um, that's that's that as far as the United States men's national team. Um, it is still a struggle. They still they are in the top two or three spots currently in the table for qualification uh, for CONCACAF. They're still always um, the big battles again, a big battle against Mexico, uh, which we have won a most recent game. But, you know, as, as with rivalries, there's always going to be more. And I think as long as they keep the head focused, even if it comes out to a draw, that's advantageous for us because, you know, fingers crossed. They get into the World Cup. That gives them more, uh, more juice, more incentive to really fight and show teams what they are. So, speaking of the World Cup, uh, one of the things I just read a couple of weeks ago, or within the past weeks, um, the the desire uh, by certain certain uh, 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 cup leaders are um, Concacaf or UEFA. Uh, in certain countries to change the World Cup from f- every four years to every two years. Uh, quick little history. The World Cup was essentially created in response to the Olympics, not really giving it to, its due. Um, and I, you can do a little bit more research about that. But essentially, it went from being a Olympic sport uh, to being its own thing, uh, kind of almost in spite of the... Um, the Olympics, thus making <laughs> going from one of the largest um, televised uh, events, sporting events, or the largest, you know, sporting event in the world, to creating its own, and thus making it the largest sporting event uh, in the world and televised as the World Cup. So there's kind of some calls, in part, part of it may be due to money uh, to have the World Cup every two years so not every four years every two years and i'm i'm personally on the fence about it I, and i understand where many people can come from a lot of people like the, tra- the tradition of every four years um uh some people would like to see more playing time uh me personally i like to see more world cups just because while i i respect the different biannual or uh, you know, if that's the type, right term, every two year <laughs> uh, events, uh, the World Cup obviously holds more water, um, just because it is the best of the best. And uh, hopefully, the the move to include more teams, um, especially African teams, and uh, and I, that's not so much just for you know the the sake of the title of the show, Pitch Black, even though that is great. Um, I'd like to see, you know, teams that don't normally get that exposure because that that's obviously the big thing with me, exposure. Um, you know, if there's a team out there in Japan that just may need that chance of consistently playing against the best, they can become better. Will they ever, uh, you know, will that Japanese team ever beat England? Who knows? People uh, didn't think that Iceland would go as deep as they did um, years ago, so it, it's it's that desire to see that upset. So the more often you play it, the more likely you'll see that upset. You don't have to get that perfect player that comes once every four years. You may have that player right now, and you don't want them to miss that opportunity. And also, it gives 
players who have most likely dual citizenship that chance to play for their countries a lot more. And I've covered this in um, a previous podcast where I think with a, with the opportunities to have players, say, from Nigeria, um, uh, if they had more chance of their team or country being invited to the big dance, they would not play for their second country. They would play for their home country, um, for example. And this this is just totally uh, opinion. Raheem Sterling, who uh, is of Jamaican descent, would you know what would would prevent him from playing for Jamaica in the World Cup if there were more spots and Jamaica had a better chance. Now, obviously, England is going to still probably be its top team for him, but that may not be the case for every other player that has dual citizenship. Uh, the chance to win a cup or be the superstar for your home country uh, can speak volumes. It, it, it Sometimes it means even more than the championship just to be on that stage representing your country's flag and representing your country and the people and culture of it um, means a, a, a whole lot. Um, and, you know, it basically creates you as a legend in their eyes so uh, as as, long story short i like the idea of it um i do hope the logistics of it is much better um you know i would not want players in any sport uh you know so i'd like to be fair across the board players to get injured you know it should be something that is healthy and advantageous for the players as well as the countries. Um, little side note, I do rather these every two year, and even if the you know they maintain the four year uh, World Cups, I would rather they go to countries that already have developed stadiums. Why? I think it's a, it's a disservice to send the world's largest sporting event, if not one of the world's largest event. Um, to a very undeveloped uh, country just because it does not financially do a service to that country, especially if they're spending taxpayer money or money that they don't have and putting people's lives at risk to build things um, that are only going to be used temporarily. Um, I think, you know, having the ability to get that exposure um, at already established pay places helps out those smaller countries but keeps the uh the ethical um view of what's going on that it's not done at at the risk of people's health at the risk of destroying a country's economy it's for the love of the sport it's supporting teams and obviously with the the financial payout those small teams as well as big teams can actually Win. Everyone can win at this, even if they're obviously not the the one championship winner. Um, so I look forward to that, and I will keep you up to date. If you haven't already seen it yourself, I'll keep you up to date on what they decide to do. Thank you again for listening to this podcast. I look to keep getting better with this. And soon, within the next week or so, I'm going to try to set up an email so that way you can give me more topics. I know it's a bit harder 
than I expect to constantly find topics. So let me know what you'd like to talk about or what you'd like to hear me uh, look up and give you the perspective of an African-American uh, as I see that I do have um, fans from United States, Canada, uh, Germany, and the Netherlands. A big shout out to everybody from around the world that it that are listening. Um, like I said, please let me know uh, and I'll send that uh, email. I'll attach that email to the description and we'll see what we can do as far as getting the African-American viewpoint on everything. And as with always, hope to kick it with you soon.